Welcome to the Authentic Confidence Podcast with Ben Foskey. Our mission is to help you find, coach, and communicate confidence in every area of your career. Join us for real conversations about how to build a confident life with world-class leaders, educators, and influencers. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Authentic Confidence. I am your host, Ben Foskey, and I have been waiting for this podcast. This has been the one. We have an amazingly special guest that has had a huge impact in my life, and his name is Dr. Craig Melkin. And Craig is the author of the internationally acclaimed Rethinking Narcissism, co-author of the best-selling, the New York Times best-selling, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. He is a clinical psychologist and lecturer for Harvard Medical School with over 30 years of experience helping individuals, couples, and families. His articles, advice, and insights on relationships have appeared in newspapers and magazines such as Time, The New York Times, Sunday Times, Psychology Today, Women's Health, Huffington Post, and Happen Magazine as well as countless other popular print and online media outlets. He's also been featured multiple times on NPR, CBS Radio, the Oprah Winfrey Network Channel, appeared on various local morning shows, and has been a guest on many radio stations and podcasts here and abroad. Dr. Melkin is president and director of the Cambridge, Massachusetts-based YM Psychotherapy and Consultation, Inc., which provides psychotherapy and evidence-based couples workshops he lives in Boston with his wife and twin girls, and his twin girls are now actually on to other things. And I just want to tell you know tell a little story. So some of you know I wrote a book called Authentic Confidence, came out in May of 2020, and my work was inspired by Dr. Malkin's work called Rethinking Narcissism. And so I was following him and inspired by him, and then I scheduled an appointment, a session to talk with him. And the first session that we got in there, I was nervous. So here I am, the confidence guy, about to meet one of my heroes from afar, super nervous, not sure what's going to happen. And I was sharing the work that, that I do. And he stopped me in the middle of kind of talking through some of, I was moving quickly and talking fast as we often do when we're a little nervous. And he stopped and he said, Ben, the work that you're doing is really meaningful. And, and the way you're describing it, the people that you work with must love working with you. And I start crying. And he's sitting there and it, we're, we're Zoom, right? So he's kind of leaning in. He's like, buddy, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just emotional. He's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I thought you would see me as a fraud, as a fake, as you know, I was being found out. I thought maybe you'd say, hey, you're kind of stealing my work and you're kind of ripping me off. And you know, we have all these sort of irrational thoughts when we meet someone who really matters to me. And that single impact, that moment is one of the permanent moments in my confidence ladder of when someone that I admired as much as I admire Craig said that comment to me. It was like, you know, if 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 he believes in what I'm doing and sees it, then there's it must it must be I must be on the right journey, on the right path because he's one of the world's leading experts in this sort of work. So I am so excited, Craig, to have you here with us. And you've been an inspiration for me. Uh, and so for those that that don't know you, we'd love to hear, and this is kind of our program here, is 
So what has been your journey with confidence? So thank you so much for being here. And what's what's been your journey? So talk us through that. This is something I was saying to you before we even started today that I've been thinking about in a, in a rough way, the answer to that question in a different way than I ever have. So I might jump around a bit. And yeah, love it. As polished as I normally am. But I also want to pick up on your sharing our experience. It's such a great example of the kind of things that get in the way of confidence. Because essentially, when you think about it, you were expecting me to be a jerk. <laughs> I was scared. That I was scared. Been my you response would be. to you. Yeah. That's pretty awful. That would say something pretty <laughs> awful about me. Yeah. And we do that and it undermines our confidence that we somehow feel implicated in the bad response to us. Yeah. That it is yeah. a reflection on us. Somehow my and fault. I deserved that. Right. Yeah. And anticipating it. Yeah. So I'm so glad I could provide a different ex- experience. <laughs> was, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. So my confidence journey, I'm going to summarize it this way, that what I had to overcome, and I might even get a little vulnerable about this because it it is like it's something that I struggled with for a long time. I didn't have words for. Um, My obstacle was that I always felt simultaneously ahead and behind Mm. that was the story of my life so when i was in kindergarten i remember tying a tying a shoelace and feeling so great when i finally mastered it and then there was a series of books i think they were called be a better reader books Mm. and the fox in the box and the pig in the jig and i loved all that and it's like <laughs> yeah tearing through that and i i i was aware without feeling particularly puffed up about it that i was moving more quickly than the other kids were. yeah yeah um but i was just enjoying myself mm-hmm. uh, and then sometime during that year i know now it's because I guess some well-meaning teachers and or my parents, maybe my mother pushed for this, pulled me out Mm. of that class and put me and dropped me in first grade. Wow. So this is in the middle of, so you're starting to build relationships and like, like loving life, loving this experience. And, and what was the message? Like what was told you as to why that was was nothing told to me. So you didn't know if you did something wrong or something exactly. right. You just knew I'm different. I lost I lost all my friends. I'm different. And then yeah. of course when I got there, expectations are very different yeah. in first grade than they are in kindergarten. And it was hard. It was really hard. Suddenly things were hard for me. Yeah. And I felt dumb. Mm. And all the kids were bigger than me. That's a big jump. Yeah. And I remember walking outside in the halls. This is a place called Potomac Montessori School. That's where I started in Mm -hmm. Maryland. Mm -hmm. I remember walking outside in the halls and seeing the multicolored, like red and blue structures that you could, tunnels that you can climb in and out. And somehow I felt like it was inaccessible to me now. I didn't have Mm. those words either. I just felt all outside of it. And that was my first great experience. And what do you think they... What did they observe about you 
that they went, oh, this this kid is advanced. We got to move him up or he won't be challenged or something, right? Whatever. What do you think they like observed? That. What did they see, do you read, think? Just nothing that I was reading quickly. Yeah. So they just and watched you firing through yeah. 20 books yeah. and they went, oh, this is not yeah. a this is not, not a kindergartner intellect. This is a first grader intellect. Exactly. So they dropped me into that. And I, I remember the, I vividly remember the first homework assignment. I felt like I wasn't smart enough. Mm. So it did and the exact opposite of the intention. Exact opposite. And, and what, I, what were you interpreting during that time about yourself? I'm not as smart as people think I am. Again, I didn't have hmm. words for it. Wow. They expected me to be able to do this easily. And looking back, I probably was doing it fine, but yeah. I wasn't flying through things. And no one told, told me I shouldn't have, be flying through things. Hmm. So it gets worse. <laughs> it gets much worse. So that's, that's the development of my confidence. Yeah. Again, how does the environment and how do people respond to you? Yeah. Are they attuned to your needs? Are they attuned to your feelings? Or do they gloss them over and... In, in, in favor of some other agenda. Yeah. Either, either it made my mother feel better to have a prodigy. Sure. Or it, and where it made the school feel good to have a prodigy. Yeah. No one gave a crap what the kid felt. <laughs> well, and you weren't even asked. You and didn't have a choice. Asked. Was not even asked. There was no agency there at all. It was just, this is what's happening to you. So, so now it gets worse. We move from Maryland <laughs> to Connecticut where my father moved because he started working in New York City. He worked in Manhattan. And now we lived in a commuter city called Darien, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And after I moved there, I went to a private school called Plumfield. Um, and their stance was, well, he hasn't done our first grade. Oh, my gosh. See where this is going. Oh, no. So I repeat first grade. <laughs> and again, nothing said to you. It's just like. They're just concerned that you maybe didn't get some of the things that they teach. And it's, and so they want wow. you to have that experience at their school. So now I'm held back. Wow. So now I'm exactly where I should be, but I've been held back. But you've had two, two now, negative experiences. You, you get yeah. jumped up without explanation and now you're repeating. And, and what sort of kids have to repeat a grade? Yeah. It gets worse. <laughs> so now I proceed through Plumfield and I get to around, I've, I'm fly through English. I mean, I, I, let, I will let everybody out here know I am not a math genius. I work hard at math and I love math and therefore I did well mm -hmm. at math, but I didn't exceed expectations. I yeah. didn't, I, I wasn't particularly brilliant compared to other kids in math. I just loved it. Yeah. So I stayed in with math, but with English again, I was just flying through stuff. So by the yeah. time I get to fifth or sixth grade, I'm writing stories on my own. The teacher is wanting me to encourage, wanting to encourage me writing write stories on my own. I'm hesitant to name drop here, but one of these teachers who was viewing me in this way was, um, uh, What's her name? Like the author of Anne Martin, the author of the Babysitter series. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she's going, you've she, got talent. Yeah. Anyway, she moved on. I was taken on by another teacher. So this is like fifth, sixth grade. And they decide, okay, he, this is worthless, him teaching him grammar and whatever. He knows how to do this. 
So the next teacher puts me in a class by myself uh, for two hours of the day where I, in, it might have been fifth grade, I think it was fifth grade, reading Shakespeare, reading Macbeth. <laughs> by yourself. By myself. And then I would answer questions on it. So they just bring remember, in a stack of books and you're yeah. sitting in a, yeah. in a desk by yourself. Tiny print. And, and you're told what about this experience? Um, we just think this will be more interesting for you. And, and really think it's an opportunity for you to continue to grow in wow. your ability as a writer and, and a reader. And how are you interpreting this? it's mixed on the one hand i realize wow they really see me as some again prodigy some special yeah. kid yeah um on the other it's a repeat of the first grade experience where i'm, I'm yeah. reading macbeth <laughs> and beowulf and grendel and you're and you're what and age? like what the hell does yeah. any of this say? <laughs> I have no idea what this means. And you're Tiny what age print. at this point? So I am. Let's do them at like ele uh, 11, 12? No, 10, 10, 10, 10, Oh 10. my, oh my God! So the context and the you know the backstories yeah. and what this is really about. Yes, you can comprehend it, but you're not in a space in life where you can you know. What is happening to me? I'm guessing is what, what you're thinking. What, like, what is happening to me? What the environment and people are constantly neglecting in, in favor of some story of me. And we think about the confidence in this way. How are you perceived versus how are you feel or what's going yeah. on? So I talk about yeah. imposter syndrome. And what yeah. we were glossing over again and again was, okay, maybe I had some talent for reading and writing and writing stories. And that made me advanced. But what do I need emotionally? Yeah. What can I, how can I understand things emotionally? So I'm reading these college level texts and answering short answer questions on them. <laughs> and they're emotional questions. Yeah. That a 10 year old can't really no, grapple of course with not. easily. Like what motivated Macbeth to do, you know, to do such and such. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and what were your friends or classmates thinking about all of this? Uh, this is another, another blow to my confidence. So I had a nickname. I had really long, tight, curly hair mm -hmm. much, of, much of my life up until my early adulthood. And then it was very unruly. So they called me Frobrain. All right. So on the one hand acknowledging wow. there's something different about this kid's mind and then the other was fro brain um i had a couple of close friends those were rocky relationships mm -hmm. they were uniformly positive and so from here it gets worse <laughs> <laughs> so now i'm already an anxious kid and self-doubting and i don't know I'm supposed to be smart. I don't feel smart in yeah. any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Now I have to graduate Plumfield because they've tapped out what they can do for me. So I moved to another private school uh, called King School in Stanford, Connecticut. And um, I take an entrance exam. And I've never seen anything like this. I've never taken an, an exam like this in my life. And 
and I totally flubbed it, I'm sure. Anyway, so after advancing me, I was in the same math class as my brother, who's two years ahead of me. And as you can say, they, you know, they took me out of class, put it by myself. So yeah. I get to King's school and they say, well, he essentially, he hasn't done our eighth grade. Oh my. So you basically graduated from the previous school. I, well, I, I have, I was advanced twice and held back twice. <laughs> that seems like that's, I mean, the, the, what were, what were your parents thinking about all of this? Were, were they, were they advocating for you? Were they confused about it? They're just like, Oh, I guess that's what the school wants us to do. So again, what's missed emotionally that undermines confidence. It's not so much that it was hard or challenging yeah, or even that I was isolated relationally or emotionally because of the changes. It was that, that nobody was there to talk to me about. Yeah. It. Right. So I had no way of making sense yeah. other than this is hard for me. And to try to talk about the feelings about it, my mother said, Oh, Craigie, you can do You can do this. <laughs> You can do anything. Yeah. Then that right, was it. She need, that's what she needed to believe. Yeah. And of the... course, I don't feel like I can do anything. So now there's <laughs> a mismatch. So I'm not who people think I am. Yeah. And yeah. it shouldn't be hard. Mm -hmm. So that was my starting point as wow. I launched into, got more and more advanced in psychology and studied it and got into graduate school and developed my interests. I, I, even in graduate school, I was like, I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah, because it was it was conflicting messages. It was you're you're really gifted, but you're not that gifted, and and, or you're feel, not out. You're not our kind of gifted, or we're not sure if you're gifted. Or there's a you know we missed something. It turns out it's not true. I think that was yeah. my take on what it yeah. meant. Yeah, eventually someone's going to say it's not really true. Craig, so, actually, you're just an average kid. Yeah. And right. so now this is what I had to overcome. Yeah. Uh, I, I had to learn that it's okay to say things are hard and it's okay to talk about the experience of it. Doesn't mean that you're not smart. Yeah. It doesn't, I had to develop my own compass because what that trained me to do was listen, listen to what other people think. Yeah. Right. With their blessing, I'm, I'm a prodigy, you know, and with their alter, alternative feedback, I'm an idiot. Yeah. And you alternated between those two beliefs of yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so then you get to college. So, well, then what was yeah. that experience like? Oh, it was completely overwhelming. So yeah. by then, I had borrowed a page from my mother's book, which spoiler alert: she was extremely narcissistic, <laughs> and she would hold court and she would put on shows and uh, starring herself. And so I get to college. And I discover I have a good sense of humor and yep. I can tell stories. And so it's the Craig show. <laughs> and you hold court and like people yeah, gathered sure. around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. sure. You're a great storyteller. Yeah. And it's like, what, what was the quality of your relationships at that point? Terrible. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's been, I mean, I, that's been my I experience had, too, so, right? When, when we, it's sort of like we have got all these acquaintances Mm -hmm. but nobody knows really the truth of what we're really processing, right? It's lonely. So they don't really, they don't really connect with you as who you are. Yeah. It's some story about you. Yeah. It's some, and you know it. And so I knew it. I yeah. come back to, I, I knew it yeah. inside. 
I, I had some of the worst, most relationships, you know, some of the most extremely narcissistic friends and partners. I yeah. fell into that. Yeah. Um, because of that vulnerability. And also yeah. I was very drawn to people who had a strong need to tell me who I was. Yeah. Because yeah. I've been trained to. Yeah. You had been. Yeah. And do you think part of your draw to the work of psychology was to sort all this out? 100% my draw to psychology <laughs> was to sort all this out. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a, a line in, in graduate school about research that people do as part of their dissertation and their special yeah. projects. Research is me-search. <laughs> so my first research project was supposed to be on narcissism. I had this idea uh, of testing people with narcissism and having unobtrusively or sort of just out of reach a mirror and then, and then using video camera to like catch how many times did they glance in the mirror. Oh my gosh. And, and also, also with the, and, and another condition where there was a mirror present and then do they have more self-involved stories? What with the mirror? Print. See, it was too hard to do. Yeah. So my research project was on self-esteem. Still, mm -hmm. research is me search. Yeah, yeah. The two polar ends, right? And I think in the book, what I love is when you talk about echoism versus the unhealthy narcissism, right? And those two, mm -hmm. and you were living those essentially extremes, yeah. right? Absolutely. Part of I you was, was trying, trying. Yeah, I was trying to serve and fit in and be this smart person that everyone saw. And then there's a part of you that's like, no, I. I am reading quickly. I am understanding advanced. I am, you know, the Craig show. People are buying tickets. Yes. And I'm selling yeah. them. And it feels good to get a crowd of people sort of stroking my ego and telling me how amazing I am. I started getting invited to back up a little bit to high school parties because I overcame my anxiety by discovering that I could say things that, were, that people thought were yeah. funny. Yeah. And so I got invited to parties because yeah. people thought I was hilarious. Yeah. So and and so then you're you're so now you're starting to get getting through college, you're starting to I'm guessing sort of discover yourself a little more. How did you determine what sort of work to do post post college? Like well, what Again, research is me search, so yeah. I, I you know, don't need to get too much into the detail of this, but I was going to be a writer. Yeah. Mhm. Mm and I decided at a certain point that the very my very favorite novelists were pretty amazing psychologists mm. so i decided wow. that if i if i wanted to be a, a fiction writer that i should be able to write a character from the ground up yeah so that's how i decided Fascinating. To, go, to go into psychology yeah so really it was it was a mechanism to become a better writer it's really how yeah. the original intent yeah fascinating and then, and then i wound up doing uh an internship their externship, I forget what they're called, at a runaway shelter for college. Mm. And I fell in love with the work. Oh. In addition to the fact that I just sort of was voting with my feet, I was taking, I, I had my advisor for, for, for English. Um, and it, because you had to have an advisor, you declare a major, so I'm my advisor. And I went in one day and she said, like, you know, if you just took this extra class, you could also declare a psychology major. And I was like, really? No way. Like I, I, like I was so that's how close you were to not graduating with a psychology degree. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. So I 
I went ahead and took that class, and one of them was the Junction Runaway Shelter, the Runaway Shelter stuff yeah. that I did. That was part of it. You had to have a clinical experience, and then and that's how so. What was later. what was the epiphany in that experience for you? It was there was this little girl at the shelter who I knew her backstory just because people had told me that her father was never around. Her mother worked. She had other siblings and she was pretty lonely all the time. And when I got there pretty early on, she, she latched onto me. Mm. Um, and really like clung to my side. She always wanted to know where I was. <laughs> and I wound up having this this relationship with her over the course of I think it was only like two three weeks that they could be there over the course of the, that time where I would just ask her questions about what was going on and it was like the first time anybody had ever done that mm. with her, like really been curious about her internal world um and I, you know, I remember when we said goodbye, she, she gave me the biggest hug mm. and I felt like it made an impact that I was like, wow, you can really make an impact with just these simple moments of being a person for another person. Yeah. Well, and I, what, what I love about that is that's not the Craig show. Right. So you you found a space to sort of let the ego alone and just go, what if I'm just present with this person? You know, it's almost like she was a little sister to you, right? Like, just like, Hey, what's going on? And, and that connection I'm guessing was one you're like, Oh, I'm not used to this and I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It suddenly opened up a world for me. And, and what if I spend the rest of my life making these sorts of connections mm-hmm. rather than the, the extremes that I've been living in? Because this, right. I'm guessing, felt really grounded and safe. It was and, amazing. I was yeah. finally, I was special to someone Yeah. instead of being special for them. Wow. That's an amazing statement. Isn't that how most of us live? We're special to someone, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... When we're when we're performing, right? You were we and I. And this is my story too, right? I had eight jobs in eight years. Spent a lot of time performing. Um, there's a hollowness to that that I think our confidence is so fragile because if the applause isn't there, you know, let's say you tell the joke one time and the crowd erupts, and you start telling it the second time, and they go, "We've heard this one before, Craig." Mm-hmm precisely <laughs> we're so fragile we're so, so right we're so uh <laughs> exposed to because it's not re it's not a real relationship exactly and this is what dovetails with the book thing you know, you're referring to my ideas so i viewed narcissism as this basic drive to feel special exceptional yeah. unique or stand out from other people on the yeah. planet. and clearly i was getting the message that i had like yeah. some reason to feel that way, but I couldn't yeah. own it. It didn't really feel like me. Yeah. Right. But we all have that that yeah. need. And yeah. I think of narcissism along the spectrum from not enough of that ability to feel special all the way to too much. Right? Yeah. So echoism, which is drawn from the myth of narcissism and echo. Yeah. Yeah. Echo is the nymph who fell in love with narcissists, yeah. the vain Greek youth. And, and so couldn't echo, compete 
couldn't compete with his image in the water, right? <laughs> and in fact, she had no voice of her own. Yeah. She yeah. was cursed to repeat last the last few words that she heard. She could only s- repeat back what he said. Eventually, she in the story, there's two versions. In one, her, she fades away until there's nothing left but her echo. Mm-hmm. There's no body. There's no person. Mm-hmm. This, this is a great way of understanding echoism. If you can't ever feel special to someone, like even that sense of special, yeah. you lose a sense of voice. You lose a sense of thereness that's so yeah. important in relationships. I definitely struggled with that. Uh, and I did my best to compensate by being special for people. Yeah. The more, the more pathologically narcissistic choice of putting on the show. Yeah. You know, finding ways to stand out above the crowd. I wasn't very good at it. As I, <laughs> as I, as I often said when I was growing up, it's like, I'm a failed narcissist. I have all, all of the shame and none of the puffery. <laughs> all the downsides and none of the benefits. Yeah, yeah it was terrible. I mean, I tried yeah. and I, and I could certainly hold court, but it, you know, at the slightest, the, you know, the lack of the, the extreme protective narcissism, like where you can fight back, it just wasn't there. Yeah. So at the first hint that somebody wasn't interested, I would, um, I would go, I would just collapse. I wouldn't yeah. fight back. I wouldn't so you insult like a, anyone. Like a true unhealthy narcissist would double down and puff yeah. and fight and attack. Yeah. And, no, and you would go, like, oh, I guess, oh, I guess they, they're right. I guess, yeah, I guess they're right. It's interesting yeah. <laughs> though. Like to me, what's fascinating though about, about the work is you you'd been around it enough to relate to it and understand it though. Yes. So when you see it, when you see the, you know, the characteristics of a narcissist, it's not like you're freaked out and afraid of it. It's like, Oh, I recognize that. I grew up with it. I grew up with it. I'm not afraid of it. And I think most people are so petrified of that behavior. And in some ways we should be because they're, you know, they're not safe to be around, but in other ways, you have the courage to just walk in and hold a conversation with a person who's in the yeah. middle of that. So, yeah. so those that sometimes are sometimes even date them, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a whole other episode I think we could have that I'm sure would be fascinating. But one of the things that I get asked a lot is, all right, Ben, I, I'm, I'm neighbors with related to a narcissist and it's, you know, I can't, quit the job like they're they're connected to me in a in a family connection or in something that what's your what's what do i do how do i survive with this person who's got these very addictive sort of narcissistic overconfident tendencies what would be some of your suggestions for that person oh my gosh the most important is to recognize and hold on to your healthy anger Mm. disappointment Mm. Uh, because often with people like that in relationships like that the way they react the way they speak just kind of drives you into yourself and down where you don't want to say anything and you don't want to express and that is fine in some relationships like with a boss yeah you can't speak truth to power all the time Mm -hmm. and you can't you certainly can't seek revenge verbally. right all right so there's a lot of things that you can't say what you don't want to do is to make this trade internally where you give up that anger in favor yeah. of compliance yeah. or agreement with their story of you. Yeah. So I, I spent a lot of time helping people like me as a kid, I needed to get angry. Yeah. 
I had no opportunity. I had nobody helping with me, but of I was furious at times, absolutely yeah. furious. Yeah. And that anger, that adaptive, healthy anger helps connect us to knowing what we need and what we deserve in the way yeah. of our actions, how we deserve to be treated as a human being. Yeah. So to at least be able to, like when somebody treats us like a jerk, like you anticipated with the possibility of never having met me before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That when someone treats us like a jerk, even if it's not safe or we can't say you're a fucking, you're a jerk. Like, yeah. What the hell is wrong with you? Right. To at least know inside this has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Right. Cause people say you know, that they can, they hold their boundaries and protect themselves with these, but really it's, they're taking it in. They are. And, and, you, and they're becoming that echoist, essentially, right? They're exactly. going, I'm just, exactly. I'm going to tell this person what they want to hear so yeah. I can just get, yeah. but a part of them dies right. inside every time they do Yes. yes. Instead of saying, you know, don't talk to me like that anymore. Yeah. Right. Or even if you can't, knowing that they, they, they shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, like and, there's or, or just people you can't even say Sort of the, the defiance, yeah. the defiant look of, I'm not smiling. I'm not nodding. I'm not, I'm not saying anything, yeah. but internally, yeah. I know I'm worth more than what right. you're describing me to be. Right. In fact, sometimes the very best response to those people is to just feel you know, your yeah. anger. Yeah. And say nothing. Yeah. Just well, hold it's, silence. It's fascinating. And watch them scramble. What I ask <laughs> people all the time is, is in, in our coaching work around confidence, they'll say, what would the most confident leader in the world do right now? And it's crazy to me how many times people say, I think they would have a little smirk on their face and say nothing. Like you're not getting to me. Yeah. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need yes. to ad address yes. this. Yes. I'm simply standing my, I'm holding my space. And essentially the rest of the world is going to see that person reveal themselves. Yes. And sometimes you don't have to attack them and do that. However, don't shrink. Don't get small. Don't believe the lies of what they're telling you exactly. and, and acquiesce to that or, or say pander to it. Right. Um, and so final thought for us here was the thing about the, cause this is fascinating in, in light of that, what do you wish you could have said to your, let's call it your sixth grade or fifth grade self? What, how do you, you know, what, what could have been different for you? So easy. I, like I know this now, what I would <laughs> say first I would have said, how are you doing? You look kind of down. Hmm. And he would have told me, like, I don't know what I'm doing, and this is really hard, and I'm scared. And I would have said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. This is pretty advanced stuff. I don't even know that I like Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you for not wanting to read it. Yeah. You know, and you don't have to do this if you don't want to. Yeah. And I, I still think you're smart. Yeah. And I, yes. and I love that. And I think so much of the work that we do is just permission to ask for what you want. Yeah. And sometimes we don't have access to what we want, right? It's so overwhelming. But if we take a breath and go, how am I experiencing this? <clears throat> and I, so like a phrase for me is sometimes I'll say, I'm not doing okay right now. Like yeah, I'm not okay right now. Like such an important. Yeah. I don't, I can't put my finger on why yeah. I'm not, but something's off yeah. and just sort of permission to, to remove myself from whatever environment I'm in, take a breath and go, what am I actually feeling? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it stress? Yeah. 
And then what do I want from here? Yeah. And, so, and sometimes we don't know those answers, but we for sure won't get past it if we don't, if we just keep blazing through the I'm not okay. And well, I should be, and I'm advanced and I'm reading Macbeth. So I should be grateful for these people for shepherding my brilliance and my genius, right? Everyone's telling me, it's oh, exactly Craig, you're so advanced. You should exactly be grateful for this yeah. experience. You, you know how many people would love to be in your situation? Yeah, yeah but I'm, who wants to sit? But I feel miserable. Next grade in a room by themselves reading stuff that's not intended for me. Plus the kids call me Frobrain. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm called names and and yeah. and right. And so if if again having that experience over again, if you were simply able to find someone who you could have trusted with your emotions and helped you guide some things and maybe alter something, maybe not everything changes, but you probably feel a little bit more of a sense of, okay, I have some choice in this. Yeah. Who wouldn't have just said, Oh, Craggy, you worry too much. You're <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You worry too much. Yeah. And who's that about, right? That's about her saying it's about her. You're making me look really good. Keep it up. Exactly. Exactly. And and often when we have those narcissistic relationships, it's all about the other person keeping up their appearances. Like you're yeah. serving their appearance. And, and that's dangerous, right? And I think mm -hmm. back to your point. Craig, that's loving you for how you perform for, instead of loving you for who you are and that connection. So thank you so much You're for so sharing welcome. your story. Any final advice that you'd have for people listening to this? I think I would just reinforce that uh, the, the greatest power we have to like hold on to authentic confidence and not tip into echoism or narcissism is to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and connected yeah. in our vulnerability to people, right? The way I often say it is um, you, you can't be securely attached and extremely narcissistic in the same time, like yeah. to the extent that you depend, you can truly depend on other people emotionally with, with yeah. your, all of your experience, not a yeah. piece of it. Yeah. You won't depend on feeling special. You won't have that addictive drive. On the other side of it, you won't have to give up any sense of pride or yeah. belief in yourself in order to connect to people. If you can just say things like, I'm, I'm not feeling great right now. Things don't feel okay. Yeah. And on the flip side, I had an amazing day and I did something amazing. Exactly. And the person I, applauded. I knocked you. it out of the park. Yeah. I and, out and of that, the park. The people around you, yeah. I loved, I, I had a coach, a previous coach, I would always say, Ben, be very aware of the people, the people that don't celebrate with you when something great happens. Be awesome. very aware of that because awesome. there's something off awesome there, right? The people yes. who care most about you yeah. are the ones celebrating the loudest. Yes. Yes, like that, pride, that's awesome that you did Pride that. is relational. Yeah, exactly. Narcissism is a defense against relationship. Yeah. And and here here's my my, my closing thought is I am so thankful for that little girl who had that sort of impact on you. I'm a I'm wondering where she is now, what she's doing now, and I and I bet you've made you made some permanent deposits in her life because mm -hmm. Those are the deposits that you make with me every month when we get together. Um, and and the fact that you had the awareness to say, I'm going to spend the mess rest of my life helping people have moments like this. The reason why I continue to do the work that I do in large part 
it's because of the belief that you had in me. You, I was that little girl when I came to see you a little lost in the work and now to see where it's evolved to and the conversations that we have, uh, I am grateful for you. Wow, Ben. <laughs> I'm grateful for you. And so thank you. And I have a feeling, friends, we may have Dr. Melkin back at some point. I have a feeling we've just scratched the surface of all the things we could get into at some point. But thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Authentic Confidence with Ben Fosky. And uh, yeah, thanks so much again for our friendship and our work together. And if any of you are interested, Rethinking Narcissism is an absolutely transformative work. If you, even if you say, well, I don't really work with people that are narcissistic, it's really that full continuum of echoism. And there's a healthy and unhealthy version of narcissism. I mean, narcissism kind of gets a bad rap, but as you're talking about that, Craig, is there's a, there's a healthy sense of, I want to do something amazing with my life. Exactly. I want to be significant. I want to be valuable. I want, am, I'm ambitious about some of the things I want to accomplish. And there's... There's a lot of health in that perspective. We can draw on that. If we play with it, they'll cling to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. Thank you. Appreciate you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you again for the next episode.